what is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching, and we do not stop at training and nutrition. No, we go way deeper. We talk personal development, personal growth, success, entrepreneurship, stress, lifestyle, everything you can think of that's going to help you get better results across the board in your life. That's my goal with this show. It's to be your coach through your speakers to help you develop as an individual. If you're new to the show, make sure you check out our top four episodes. That's going to be the training FAQ, the nutrition FAQ, nutrition periodization, and my personal journey into fitness. And I'm going to link all four of those episodes in the show notes so you can check them out. Today's episode is a Q&A. We dive into some questions that I got um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, quite a few good ones, actually. We had a couple lifestyle ones. We had a couple about personal developments, books I've read, certifications I've taken. And we've also got into how to sustain fat loss, how to achieve fat loss, how to avoid uh, amenorrhea and hormonal issues and things that come along with a diet plan. Uh, we dove into training and how long you should actually stick with the program. We actually got into quite a few good topics. I really enjoyed this podcast today, um, and I'm excited for you to listen to it. And it's funny because I actually just had my voice is actually still kind of gone. Um, I just had a seminar last night, but it was a Q&A. It was my first time doing a live Q&A, and I kind of stole that idea from Gary V because that's what he does a lot. But it was cool because I had a presentation. I had it all memorized. I was ready to go. And a day or two before the event, I kind of thought like, man, like maybe I should just do a Q&A. Maybe I should just pull out a whiteboard. Maybe I should just introduce myself and then just start going around the room and answering questions because every time I do a seminar, the gold is in the Q&A. Coaching is a fucking Q&A every week. I'm answering questions for clients. Every day I'm answering emails and answering clients' emails, questions to help them navigate through their problems to get better results. Content creation, these podcasts, everything I do inside of my business, it's all taking questions and providing answers. And I really started to think about it. It's like, man, I thrive on these Q&As. Like I love these things. Like let me just do it live. So I got there. I told them I'm scratching the seminar presentation and I'm just going to answer questions. And I think they kind of looked at me crazy at first. But then I went around the room and people had great questions and we spent, I mean, shit, like at least two hours just answering questions, and I think they got so much more value because it's so insightful. Um, and the reason I'm telling you this is, number one, get you hyped up because you're about to listen to a Q&A. And number two, it's because the seminar with myself and Lauren Conlin, July 20th and 21st, is coming up here in Seattle. This is going to be a chance to connect, network, and get answers to all the questions you have on training and nutrition. Um, I can't stress how important it is for you guys to be there, especially if you're a coach. This seminar is for everybody that wants to build their best physique. That's why we called it the Best Physique Seminar because Lauren is going to teach you everything from A to Z on how to build your nutrition to be more successful or how to program your nutrition better for your clients to be more successful. And this is somebody who puts women on stage as pro bikini competitors, puts herself on stage as a pro com uh, competitor, is in the lab actually doing research, has her degrees like – She's living the life. She's preaching the life. She's coaching the life. Like, it's crazy. She is super knowledgeable, and she's going to be there doing all things nutrition. I'm super excited about that. And then myself is going to step in and do program design. I've worked with so many people over the years, from pro athletes to bodybuilders to bikini athletes to everyday people, and I'm going to break down exactly what I do inside of those program designs so you guys can understand the process to build your best physique or take my systems and use them on your clients. This is not going to be filmed on Instagram or Facebook Live. This isn't going to be recorded. Like This is a live, in-person, connect with us as human beings in person in Seattle, July 20th event. And we're going to smash a dope Q&A afterwards. I'm super excited about that. That's why I was telling you guys. But there's limited seats. They are going to fill up, guys. I would love it if you were there, coaches and people alike that just want to improve their physique. I'm going to drop a link to the, this uh, seminar so you can grab tickets in the show notes. If you have any questions at all, really just reach out to me, Cody at BoomBoomPerformance.com. I'd love to answer those. More importantly, I'd love for you guys to be there. 
if this show does anything great for you, if you get better results, if you have fun listening to it, if it provides you something to listen to during cardio or your drive or your meal prep, whatever it is, guys, do me a huge favor. Help me spread this message of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast so more people can listen to it and get the same results you're getting because that's what this is about, delivering coaching advice for free. And you can help me build that movement even bigger by taking a screenshot of this episode right now, heading over to Instagram, putting it on your story, and tagging myself at Cody Boom Boom on your screen. Now, without any further ado, without any ranting, without any more announcements, let's get on to this episode. All right, so the first question is from Carmen Spitzer. How to adjust macros when you were injured and cannot move much? How did you handle it when you were injured? Um, this is a really good question. I think, like, it, it really depends. I think, like, number one, we got to remember that it's more about dropping calories because your expenditure goes down so low. So if you have a serious injury, um, you're going to be moving far less. If you're moving far less, then obviously we need to eat less. Um, I would just say, like, the best thing to do, and it depends on the injury too. If it's if it's not a serious injury where there's no significant damage to ligaments, uh, muscle tissue, um, tendons, things like that, I think the best thing to do is just lower carbs. Keep your protein high. Keep your fat where it's at to support hormonal and nervous system functions. I think that's going to support lifestyle. It's going to support flexibility. It's going to support just being happy, healthy, um, and just functioning properly while you're injured. Um, but we know that carbs directly convert to performance fuel, right? That's what they do. So if we can lower those, we're probably going to be able to accumulate less fat gain, right? So if, if we're not exercising as much, we don't need as many carbs and we also don't need as many calories. The easiest thing to do, the simplest thing to do, drop your carbs, keep your protein, your fats where they're at and just keep coasting. There's no, there's nothing else you need to do. Now where this changes is when we have serious damage to any tissue, ligament, tendon, so on and so forth. Um, example of this, I tore my meniscus. I had a bucket handle tear and I needed a complete repair. So they had to do a complete surgery. They didn't even know if they'd be able to fix it. The tear was so bad. So after that surgery, I have a couple things going on. Number one, I have muscle atrophy going on because I'm already, before the surgery happened, I'm a month in on crutches, no surgery, no training. Once the surgery happened, um, I had another two months before I could start moving stuff again and three months before I could start like quote unquote running, they said. Um, I don't run, but um, before I can start squatting and training and stuff like that, right? So that's three months without really any resistance training on my leg. Um, I started at eight weeks. I healed a little bit quicker than they expected, and I think this is why. Um, and I started walking, uh, I think, two weeks before they said I'd be off crutches. So things moved a lot faster for me. Um, I think part of that is being healthy. I think like one of the main reasons we want to stay strong, one of the main reasons we want to eat healthy, one of the main reasons we don't want to be in a position where we have poor lifestyle, high stress, so on and so forth, is because when shit hits the fan like this, when you can't control it and you get injured and you get in a vulnerable position, I do believe you're going to recover a bit faster. It's just like pregnancy for women. If you go into pregnancy fit and healthy, you're going to get out of it that much quicker. You're going to heal that much quicker. You're going to get your body back that much quicker. I believe this is just how it is. Your body will adapt faster if it's in a healthier position. So that's the first thing. For setting the stage for this, this is just motivation to stay healthy, guys. Like, I understand we all want six-packs and stuff, but like, this is, and this is just a side tangent, but this is a good reminder for a lot of people out there that get sucked into being shredded, which I get it. I've been there. Um, and I still fall into that category. Like, looking at yourself in the mirror and wanting to see more abs and wanting to be leaner, but just remember that being fit isn't about that. 
Being fit is about living longer. Being fit is about like me running around and crawling on the floor and, and chasing my daughter and throwing her up in the air and shit like that. Like that's, that's being fit. And the fact that I'm leaner than the average person. I'm healthier than the average person. I'm going to live longer than the average person. I have better blood work than the average person. I go to the doctor less than the average person. I can walk more steps throughout the day. I have more energy than the average person. I have higher testosterone than the average person. And I say the average person because the average person in today's day and age is lower on a lot of those scales, unfortunately. But I'm just saying this because the topic kind of made me think about how important it is to remember. And I do this all the time with myself. I remind myself that, you know what? I'm in a great fucking place. When I look in the mirror or I look at the scale or I'm wishing my progress go faster, like I remind myself, I'm still really fit. I'm still above average. I still should appreciate where I'm at. Um, complete side tangent, but I think that's a valuable thing to, for people to gravitate towards and, and really t- try to remind themselves constantly of. Um, now, what I did during my surgery is I, I dropped carbs and I increased protein and I increased fat. So I really prioritized a very anti-inflammatory diet. I didn't stick to strict macros. I stayed in ranges. Um, I probably stayed – I didn't go super, super high fat because I just don't do well with super high fat. But I think I stayed between like 60 and 80 grams of fat a day. So some days would be a little bit lower if I just wasn't hungry. Some days would be higher if I was hungry or if I chose to eat something that was just a little bit higher in fat. Um, I kept carbs relatively low, like 100 grams or less. I basically tried to remove all starch. I had one to two servings of fruit per day. I had plenty of greens, and I tried to get some colors. So I would have like bell peppers, carrots, mushrooms, garlic, uh, like things like that because I wanted colors, and I would have greens every day, spinach, kale, um, Brussels, broccoli, whatever was on the menu. But I chose things that were specifically anti-inflammatory, right? Like kale and spinach are known to be anti-inflammatory. Blueberries are known to be anti-inflammatory. So I had blueberries every day. Um, Olive oil is known to be anti-inflammatory. So I had olive oil with my food. I cooked in olive oil and I cooked in coconut oil just because I love coconut oil. Um, I had a whole egg or two every single day. Um, I did use grass-fed butter almost every single day. I purposely chose to eat fattier cuts of meat. I had salmon. Um, I took extra fish oil every day. Like I chose – things that I know are going to be helpful. Like my meat is all sourced from grass-fed, grass-finished products from ButcherBox, but I do that on purpose. I want the fat because these things are going to help inflammation, especially if I'm reducing carbs to a significant amount. This doesn't mean carbs are inflammatory for everybody, but it means carbs can be inflammatory, specifically sugar, if we're not doing anything. So for me, my activity drops so much, I'm not utilizing those carbs. So they are going to become a little bit more inflammatory. But if I remove them while I'm in this down period, I'm going to have some anti-inflammation effects. The whole anti-inflammatory thing is really just going to help the healing process. I already have inflammation in my body because I'm injured. Let me create an anti-inflammatory environment to speed up the process of healing. Um, The other thing I did is I focused on specific nutrients that are going to help my tendons. Um, This is mainly going to be collagen. But... I also was taking curcumin, I was taking fish oil, I was taking ashwagandha, um, I was taking adaptogens and herbs that are going to, again, promote hormonal health, stress relief, cortisol reduction, and anti-inflammation. All things that are just going to help the recovery process in general. Then I supplemented with twice as much collagen. So usually I do like, for the vital proteins, I think two scoops is one serving of collagen. I was doubling that, sometimes tripling it every day. Um, there's there's a good data to show that like, Collagen is really going to help, again, inflammation, gut health, but also tissue and tendon repair. Um, Specifically in a 
uh, uh, injury like a meniscus tear. If we look at how the meniscus is repaired, they so when you have a bucket handle tear, it's like a U-shaped. The meniscus is kind of like a U-shaped tendon in between the joints. And when you have a bucket handle tear, half of the U breaks off and gets shoved in between the joint. So now I have this partial part of a meniscus squeezed in between the joint and it's stuck and it gives you this stuck feeling. So when they remove it, they pull it out because it's completely ripped. They pull it out of the joint, they put it back, and then they put stutures. So they actually like stitch it together, right? Well, those stitches, they rely on collagen to be produced in the body and to actually bind together and form around the stutures, around the stitches to create a bond and allow that to heal. So while I've been recovering, I'm literally relying on collagen to be produced and bind together. So if you're not consuming collagen, if your body's not producing enough collagen, and if you're not eating enough protein, you're probably not going to form that collagen around the uh, meniscus that needs to happen. So what did I do? I supplemented with even more collagen, and I bumped up my protein to 1.25 grams per pound. So I'm eating a lot of protein, really low carb, pretty high fat, really, really being nitty gritty and specific, kind of rigid about my food choices. Um, I was very specific about getting all these quote unquote anti-inflammatory foods throughout my days. And then last but not least, I was supplementing with a couple things. So I know that was a long winded answer, but that's literally exactly what I did. And I was walking earlier than they expected. I was training earlier than they expected. I was out of pain earlier than they expected. Um, so I think it's a really, really good thing to take note. Like you can affect the way your body responds to an injury and you can, can heal quicker. Um, I chose this question, this next question off of the story Q and a, um, so I'm answering it on my story, but I'm gonna go deeper here because I think it's a question I've gotten a million times so far. It's from Carolina C George on Instagram. How to train and eat when stress is high. So I get this question all the time. Um, we'll start with eat, how to eat, how to diet when stress is high. The key to dieting when stress is high is to actually not diet. Fix the stress and then go into a diet. When I say diet, I mean deficit. We shouldn't be putting ourselves into a calorie deficit or doing anything with our diet that's going to create a in influx of cortisol. So when we go into a diet, we have a rise in cortisol naturally because stress is higher. So we get stressed out. We're in uh, famine technically because we're not eating as much. Um, this is why intermittent fasting isn't great for people who have a high stress lifestyle or have high cortisol levels. But naturally, we end up essentially we end up creating more stress when we're in a deficit. And if we're training too, it's just adding to it. So the best thing to do with your diet when you're stressed high is actually to not go into a diet. It's not go into a deficit. Take some time to repair that. Go to maintenance, give yourself a diet break, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're not actually dieting so that you can create a non-stressful environment. Once you do this, then you can step into the diet. Um, the other piece of advice with that is I would probably follow a moderate to high carb approach. I think going very low carb or again intermittent fasting is probably not a good idea when you have high stress. Now, the caveat to that is like if you're going to go low carb, you got to go keto. Like you got to go all out and do the whole keto thing because that's going to balance levels out anyway. Um, and that, that's assuming you're not in a deficit. But if you're just at like – a balance or you're eating low carb, low fat or like moderate fat, 
you're probably doing yourself harm because when we consume carbs, it spikes insulin. Insulin has an inverse relationship with cortisol, so cortisol drops. That's going to relieve stress. That's why carbs at night are actually probably a good thing, carbs in the evening, because it shuts down cortisol, allows us to unwind, go into parasympathetic mode, and then we can actually sleep. So eliminating carbs is probably not a good idea when stress is high. Going into a deficit is probably not a good idea when stress is high. Um, and if you are going to diet, like let's say you have a show, you have a photo, you have something specific that you need to diet for, but your stress is high from work, family, training, whatever it is, and you have no way around it, it's not that you can't diet. It's just not going to be as productive. You're probably going to have to grind harder. You're probably going to have to do more cardio. You're probably going to have to do more things to try to lose that amount of fat than you would otherwise if you would just be patient, eliminate the root cause of the stress first, and then come back to the diet. And I really think that's the answer, um, especially if, you've, if your stress is from a past diet. So if you are stressed because you dieted too hard, got stressed out, started eating uh, more, gained weight, you're still stressed out, like if it started – from a diet, the dieting is probably not the best answer for you right now. As far as training goes, I would almost it, – it depends on a couple things. Now, if you are – if we're talking like I'm going to have a stressful week, like this week's going to be absolutely crazy for me. I need – like I'm going to be stressed. What should I do to my training? In the short – excuse me. In the short term, the acute setting, what I would say is probably – I would probably move to like a deload week. Drop your RPE, your rate of perceived exertion drop your intensity, like lower the load, the weight that you're actually lifting and just do your normal workout. Um, if it is a, or you could drop your volume if, if you would adhere to that better. But I personally think intensity is probably going to be a better idea because intensity is more neurologically demanding. So if your loads are really high, even if your volume's low, you're still going to tax your nervous system because you're lifting super heavy. So I would just recommend dropping your intensity. Uh, but if it's like, man, the next month, the next two months are going to be really stressful for me, it's probably a phase that you're going to want to go into a high rep hypertrophy zone. Like spend the next four to six weeks, four to eight weeks, however long you're going to be in this stressful period, spend that time doing higher rep, lower weight, volume work. Maybe shorten your rest periods, um, chase the pump, stay in the 10 to 20 rep range. Like those things are going to be less neurologically demanding. You're still going to feel like you're getting a good workout. You're still, still are getting a good workout. You're still going to build muscle. You're still going to increase your metabolism, burn calories, uh, but you're not putting the demand on your nervous system. Um, and then the obvious too is like don't train as often. Like if you can, like for me, if I'm in a really stressful period of time, I will shift all my training to higher up training because not training will create anxiety. If I create anxiety, I get more stress. I have to train. It's just part of my lifestyle. But if you're somebody who's like, oh, I don't, like it's not going to cause any stress for me. It's fine if I don't. You might want to just take more days off. Train two days a week. You know, like if I've had somebody ask me like, what should I do if I have adrenal fatigue? You should train way fucking less because any training is going to smash you if you have true HPA axis dysfunction. Um, so it kind of depends on if it's a long-term or short-term setting. But overall, like training and eating, like we want to lower the stress. If you have a stressed-out lifestyle, you got to lower the stress that's coming in from training and nutrition, period. And then you should audit your life. This is something I talk to about my mentor clients sometimes. It's like I, I want you to spend this weekend. I literally just went over this with somebody. I want you to spend this weekend. I want you to journal, and I want you to audit your life. This is something I do every quarter. I should do every month. But sit down and look at your surroundings. Who do you work with? Who do you? Who are your clients? Who are your coaches? Who are your uh, friends? Where do you stay? Where do you live? Where do you hang out? Where do you work? Where do you eat? Where do you drink coffee at? Like, look at all your surroundings. What am I doing on a daily basis? What are my actions? What are my habits? 
What does my morning look like? What does my night look like? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? Like literally audit everything in your life. You're going to find a lot of lack of clarity because you're going to be like, damn, I haven't thought about my aspirations. And I haven't even set any goals for myself. And I'm not even working towards anything. And it's not supposed to depress you. It's supposed to motivate you to be like, shit, I need to set some goals. I need to start doing some things. But then you can look at your nutrition. You can look at your training. You can look at your sleep. You can look at your stress. You can look at what causes that stress. You can look at all these things. You can do a huge audit on your life, and you can decide what you want to change and what needs to change, what you need to cut out, what you need to add in, what habits need to be subbed out for different ones. Auditing your life is one of the most powerful things you can do if you take it seriously. Um, So if you're somebody who has serious goals about their body and you're wondering how do I go about this while being stressed out, Audit your life. That's going to give you the insight on how, what the root cause of the stress is. You can remove the stress, and then you can move forward with working on your body. Life with Killa. I like that. That that makes me think of, uh, see if I got any uh, old, eh, it's not super old school hip hop, but it's old enough. Old school for me. Um, uh, Cameron or Killa Cam, that song, uh, how does it go? It's a great song. My uh, my one of my best friends. He's actually gonna be at my wedding. I was just with him, Cameron Hayes. He uh, damn, that's two shout outs on the show. I was giving him shit about being official Cameron Hayes when nobody's trying to steal his Instagram name on the last podcast. Thank God he doesn't listen to this. I don't think he does. Um, but it was his walkout song in high school when the varsity basketball team would come out. It was funny. But um, let's see if we can. Uh, crushes and then the beat drops a little bit later this song used to be so sick but as soon as i read your name life with killa or it could be Kila. it's probably Kila. let's be honest but <laughs> and then the beat drops i could listen to that song all day that song that beat you know what's funny about killa cam his his lyrics and everything aren't, aren't very impressive he's super slow with it all of dips that was but the beats and, like, the way their swag was, it just, like, uh, when I worked at Vigor uh, back in the day, Luca, would, he's from he's from Slovenia, but he moved to New York. And that dude would just blast Wu-Tang and Dipset all the time. So I'm so used to listening to all that shit when we train. But um, let's actually get on to your question so I can provide you some value. I'm so sorry. But if I got any hip-hop heads that feel me on that song... Tag me in your story. Let me know. Say something to me. But life with Killa, how to sustain low body fat levels after achieving an impressive physique. So this isn't exactly what her question was. I kind of paraphrased it. But basically, she was referring to just sustaining her fat loss goals as a female. Um, So I believe she said – I'm going to actually pull it up. I believe she said that she went through a cut and – well, female body – so will a female body normally adapt to a lower body fat set point over time? Or is the or is my situation adding body fat? I want to sustain all I've achieved. Currently struggling with uh, amenorrhea and hormonal issues. Thank you for all your help and insight. So uh, basically, can you achieve it? How do you achieve it? And like I kind of want to just like categorize it as how do we achieve a lean body after we, we achieve it? Because I how do we sustain a lean body after we achieve it? Because I want to make sure I'm providing value to more than – just some people. But the reality is, is if you're having hormonal issues and amenorrhea, you got to slow down. You got to create a maintenance phase or maintenance blocks because that has to be handled. 
if you're so lean that you're having that issue, you either A, are too lean for your body to, to sustain, and sometimes that can be disappointing because maybe you look exactly how you want to look, but you just don't feel right. You need to take a step back. You need to chase the right feeling, and you need to be more patient. Sometimes it takes going backwards a little bit, creating maintenance, creating health, finding that balance of your hormones, and then coming back to getting really lean. And, and sometimes that's okay. It's, it takes a longer time. It's frustrating sometimes, but sometimes that's what you need in order to sustain it because you will not sustain a lean physique if you're experiencing those things constantly. I promise you that. Um, and if you're, if you, or the second way that this happens, if you did it the wrong way. So maybe you can sustain that lean of physique without having hormonal issues or amenorrhea, which is actually pretty common. You sh usually people can, and you didn't let me know what your body fat percentage is. So I can't, and I don't have a picture of you obviously, so I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I know a lot of people that have come to me and they've been in a similar position. Like their hormones are smashed. They're not getting their period. They don't feel good. They're not seeing PRs in the gym. Their metabolism is adapted to a lower set point, but they're lean and they want to keep it. How do I do it? Sometimes we have to reverse. You have to gain a little weight and then we have to spend time going back into a cut the right way, which means periodically adding diet breaks in. So every two weeks, every three weeks, you're having a three to five day diet break. Every week you're having a one to two day diet break. You're doing something to take yourself out of a deficit. That's the biggest key. If you're going to go into a cut, if you're going to get really lean and you want to keep your hormonal function going well and sustain that body, you need to have periodic diet breaks. If we look at a bodybuilder, they don't take as frequent diet breaks. Why? Because they're trying to get shredded, but they're not worried about their health. They're not. It's a sport. They're trying to get as shredded as possible. And the other thing about this is they're actually not trying to stay that lean. After a show, they'll gladly put on some body fat. They know it's a competition. They get really fucking lean. They get on stage. They get done. They add a little body fat so they can build some muscle, and then they do it again. When they add that body fat, guess what? Their hormonal function comes back. But they have to be okay with adding a little bit of body fat. And they are. Most of the people asking the question you're asking, how to sustain lower body fat levels after achieving this impressive physique, they want to sustain lower body fat levels. They want to sustain that leanest physique they've ever achieved. The only way to do that is, in my opinion, in my experience, is to implement diet breaks along the way. If you're not implementing specific diet breaks along the way, you're not going to be taking yourself out of the deficit enough and giving yourself kind of that insurance policy, giving yourself that safety net of saying like, Yes, I'm going hard. Yes, I'm placing stress on my body. But hold up. Let me pause. Let me pull back. Give myself a break. Okay, I'm going to go back into it. You need to do that for yourself or else your body will just run itself into the ground. So if you're in a position where you're really lean, you like what you look, but you're experiencing amenorrhea and you're experiencing uh, hormonal issues, my suggestion is to reverse out of it, find maintenance, be okay with adding a few pounds of fat. Once you start feeling better, once the amenorrhea clears up, once you start getting your periods back, once you start having hormonal um, processes function properly, your digestion goes back, your mood swings stop, your training gets better, all the typical stuff that happens when we diet too hard and our metabolism adapts, once all that gets better, stay there. You don't need to increase calories any further. You've done enough. Stay there for a little bit. Maintain that. Reset your metabolism, reset your hormones, be happy with how you feel, and then go into a cut the right way by either A, taking away the minimal effective or being a little bit more aggressive, whatever your body needs because sometimes bodies are stubborn, but giving yourself enough diet breaks and like time periods out of the deficit in order to support your hormonal system along the way. That's the key. Um, if you're already there and you don't have any hormonal issues but you're worried about getting them from staying that lean, you got to just reverse diet out and you got to do it smartly. This is where a slow reverse diet does have its place. 
Um, for people who do a show, you're probably going to want a recovery diet. This is where we take an aggressive approach out the gates, bump your calories up super high, not super high. We bump your calories up aggressive enough to see hormonal changes and positive benefits with your physiology right away. And then we take a slow approach after that. We're trying to get you out of that deficit and we're trying to get you out of those hormonal dysfunctions as soon as possible. That's what a recovery diet does. A reverse diet takes a very slow process. So let's say you didn't get stage lean, but you got really lean and you're happy with it, but you're worried about soon getting hormonal issues because your mood, your stress, like your physiology is starting to change and you can feel it coming. Start reverse dieting slowly so you can get yourself out of that deficit as soon as you can, but take your time with it so you can stay lean. Um, the only time that's necessary to do a recovery diet approach and be kind of aggressive with it is going to be if you put yourself in a place that's so lean that your physiology is just out of whack. And that usually happens from getting on stage. Coach Haren Solanke, best certificates for trainers slash coaches. Um, he asked about nutrition and training. Um, okay, let's – like nutrition, I'm going to go with – Three different certs and one test. The three certs are going to be MNU, so Mac Nutrition University. Um, in my opinion, this is probably one of the best. I think they he Martin McDonald does a really really good job at setting this up. Um, I I know firsthand because I'm gone through the, going through the course. Um, great great stuff in there. Great. Uh, there's a lot of research examples in there so he actually does like research reviews he shows you what he's doing he shows you the science but he breaks it down in layman terms um it goes through i mean it's a year-long course so that's why i think it's one of the best because it's like really really in depth um i mean he puts a lot of there's a lot of shit in there so you gotta spend a lot of time with it but presentations webinars there's a lot of access to just different educational tools um, a lot of quizzes you have to take a lot of studies you have to review a lot of terms you have to understand so it really does a good job of like knocking down all the bases um so I really like that one. Um, I love NCI. Um, obviously, I'm biased because Jason Phillips is one of my best friends. But he has just put a ton of value into each module. So the cool thing about his is you can choose. Like instead of going, okay, MNU, I'm going to sign up for a year and do all these. I mean, he goes through calories, gut health, hormones, like everything you could think about. With NCI, it's cool because you can select. Like maybe I don't need to learn about the basics with calories and stuff, but I really need to step up my hormonal game. Cool. Do the NCI hormonal cert. It's a great cert. I've done that one too. I've put my coaches through it as well. Um, NCI level one gives you the basics. I've done it. My coaches have done it. NCI level two is way more advanced, way more specific. I haven't done that. It's brand new. However, I'm sending both of my coaches uh, on my dollar to go do that because I believe in it so much. It's actually this coming weekend. It's actually, I think, right as you're listening to this this weekend. Um, and, uh, I mean, they have the hormone. They have the gut. They have the mindset. They're coming out with the women's master class. Like, they have so many good – good ones in there and the cool thing about Jason is they believe in value they believe in education so much in making it applicable so it's not just research it's not just science it's like how do we apply this shit to our clients so I'm a big fan of, of all the NCI stuff got a lot of love for those guys over there um, precision nutrition is great too PN1 and PN2 it's much more habitual which I think is important I've done PN1 and PN2 so I love it obviously I paid for it PN2 is a year-long course um, I think they're both really great. I would say they're in the top three as well. Um, 
they do a phenomenal job of understanding your client's mindset, understanding your client's behavior, understanding how to change your client's behavior, understanding how to communicate properly with your clients so they respect and adhere to you. Um, really, really good course. Um, I like those guys. It's not as much, in my opinion, it's not as much of the application behind like macros and performance nutrition and fat loss nutrition and muscle growth nutrition and stuff like that, but it is very, very, very applicable to damn near anybody. I mean, anybody who's a coach can apply that shit, even if you're not a nutrition coach. So I really think those are the, definitely the top three in my mind. Um, and then the, the test, this is kind of, in my opinion, the gold standard is the CISSN, which is ran by Jose Antonio, who is uh, uh, somebody I know. I had him on the podcast. Great dude. Really, really uh, love what they do over there um, at the Journal of International Science Sports Nutrition, J-I-S-S-N.com. Um, you can get a ton of great content there too. ton of great information. A lot of studies come out of there and you can really read the studies and understand what's going on in the, in the labs. Um, so I love what they do and their test is probably the gold standard. If you're CISSN certified, you know your shit. Um, you don't pay for a course with them though. You just pay for a test. So it's self-studied, which I'm actually in the process of doing right now. I'm self-studying right now to get it. And I'll tell you, I know this is, <laughs> there's a lot of education going on this year for me, um, but I got back to my roots and I really am ha I'm having a lot of fun every morning studying my craft. Like I'm having a blast with it. I signed up for MNU. Um, I'm getting ready to do the CISSN. Um, it's just I, I read all these different. I'm, I'm part of research reviews. Mass research review is probably my favorite one that I'm a part of. Um, so many books. I literally spend every morning for about 30 minutes to an hour just diving into training and nutrition because that's what I do. I should be a master at my craft, and the only way to do that is to learn and experience more and more. Um, but the CISSN, I take a couple days a week to study for because it's just like on your own time. That one is very, very science-driven, a lot of craziness inside of there that you have to be very meticulous about and have a really good memory. But it's a very good – it's one of those gold standards. I just believe that if you can take and pass that, I think you really know your shit. So um, that would be – my uh my recommendations for the certs let me pull up these questions sp underscore hiker underscore backpacker what is your top three of the best books you've ever read for personal growth Ooh, that's a great fucking question look at my bookshelf right now i'm really pumped <laughs> this is funny i'm really pumped about my bookshelf right now um i set up my office with a chandelier thing uh it's not a chandelier like sparkly and stuff that sounds like a sparkly thing, but it's like wood and like rustic um, desk, chair and bookshelf. They all match and I'm just pumped. I got these like globe bookend things for my bookshelf. It's, it's really cool. I'm, I'm hype about it. Um, I think your environment is everything. It's very simple in here, but it just it feels comfortable and it makes me really focus and work hard. But the I would say the top three personal development books I've ever read. Um, I'm gonna say The Go Giver no matter what because that's my favorite book of all time. I always say it, but it's just such a great fucking book, and I think everybody needs to read it. It's just so good. Um, the Go Giver is amazing. I would say The Leader Who Had No Title or The Alchemist. One of those two, I kind of go back and forth on those. Um, the Alchemist is great to envision your life and understand what you need to do and so on and so forth. I just really like that book. I think it's a great way to, if you're stuck and you don't know what you want to do and you don't know how to search for your personal destiny, I think that's that's a great, great book. Um, personal legend, that's what they call it. Creating your personal legend. I fucking love that. Um, that's a great book. 
The Leader Who Had No Title is a great book to humble you, make you realize that you're no greater than anybody else, and to just put your head down at work. I think that's an amazing, phenomenal book. You never know who's watching. You never know who's around you. You never know like what actions are going to happen in repercussion of what you say, do, or think. So I think that's a really good book to get your mind wrapped around those concepts. Um, I really love The Traveler's Gift. I guess I'm going to do five. <laughs> the Traveler's Gift is great because The Traveler's Gift is um, – this guy basically goes unconscious and he travels – through like it's it's kind of like an afterlife experience uh, out-of-body experience he has but he travels and he meets these influential figures throughout time and he goes from person to person and like learns these valuable lessons from abraham lincoln and alexander the great and uh some religious figures and it's just like crazy the stories the lessons and the value you take out of that the insights um the Greatest Miracle in the World is really cool. It's very short, but it's by O.G. Mandino. Really, really good book. I love that one too. It's just about a crazy story about an individual meeting some random poor individual that just changes his fucking life. It's a really, really cool book. Um, love, love, love that book. Um, I almost don't want to stop at four, five, man. I think like I can't not mention Ego as the Enemy and Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Those are both amazing books that teach you so much. I think those are like staples for a lot of clients um, that I recommend to people. I think those are really, really good for people. Um, I think I can stop there. Those would be my like, top seven. <laughs> Sorry, I gave you too many, but there's just so many great personal developments. The Dream Giver is a great one. The One Thing, Turning Pro, The War of Art. There's just so many good books. And like as I'm looking at my bookshelf, I'm like, I can't choose just one. Even Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron is really good. It's about athletes, but like tapping into athletes' mindsets that are just it's just crazy to tap into a professional athlete's mind. Um Checklist Manif Manifesto is amazing. Um I mean, fuck, there's so many good books. Yeah, I don't think I can go any further. I don't want to keep ranting off books. But there's a lot of great books on my bookshelf, and I think it's just hard to boil it down to one. Jonathan Lutz, three. How should an athlete determine their maintenance calories and macros? Um, an athlete should determine them by – just like anybody else should, really. Um, I would say – I would say maintenance calories and then I would say optimal macros because maintenance macros isn't really a thing if you think about it because if you find your maintenance calories, you can have a higher carb, lower fat approach and then you can flip the switch and do a higher fat, lower carb approach and it, the calories are the same and you'll still maintain your weight, right? So, But I don't think you would maintain your performance. That's the thing. So I would say like the best way to find your maintenance calories is going to be to track for two weeks. Two weeks is ideal. It's a longer period of time but track for one to two weeks. Get your average and see where your calories are. If you're maintaining your weight, that's your that's your average calories, right? So if you do this for two weeks and you find out that you're eating 2,200 calories and on average you're in between, like your weight keeps bouncing between 169 and 171, well, we know that your average weight is 170. We know that your average intake is 2,200. So we know that is your average intake. At that point, you're going to want to create optimal macros because you're an athlete and in my opinion a lower fat higher carb approach is going to be better you shouldn't go low low fat like below 20 but you should probably stay in that 20 to 25 percent of calorie range for your pro uh, for your fats maybe stay in the 35 to 40 percent for protein and then give the rest to carbs um, actually you could probably be in the 30 to 35 percent protein if you're at maintenance or above you're probably going to be in that 0 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight for 
protein, hit that like 20% of calories from fat, and then give the rest to carbs. It could be 40 to 60% carbs. It's really hard to say depending on your body weight, but I think that would be the best route to go. Carbs are the primary fuel source for your brain and your body to, to function and move and perform explosively and hard and endurance and all that stuff, your body period, your muscles period. So not having a higher carb approach to me is a mistake for any serious athlete. Brittany underscore Miller underscore five, struggling with getting a variety of carbs. What are your top five carb sources for body comp and do they differ for performance? Um, so no, they do not differ. Uh, my top five carb sources are always going to be things that agree with your body. So I will say for the general recommendation for most people chasing fat loss, muscle gain, or performance, I'm going to recommend white rice, sweet potatoes, blueberries, bananas, and probably some kind of like oatmeal or a whole grain product that you enjoy, like Dave Killer Bread or oatmeal. Um, the way this would change is basically if you cannot tolerate gluten or wheat or grains, we're just going to simply take out the, the whole wheat, oats, or bread. The thing I like about those is if you're not performing immediately and you need calories from carbs, oatmeal and bread can be a good carb source. If you get good quality organic gluten-free oats or organic quality like Dave's Killer bread, bagels, and stuff like that. It's a very filling, satiating, highly nutrient-dense. Uh, so there's a lot of micronutrient de- uh, micronutrient inside of it. Can't talk. It's not micronutrient-dense food. Um, if you do that, you're going to get a lot more calories. You're going to get more carbs. You're going to get some fiber, and it's going to fill you up and keep you satiated. For the other meals, I would say sweet potatoes because they're low glycemic, they're high fiber, filled with tons of nutrients, and they digest well with everybody pretty much. And then white rice is your performance fuel. White rice is that fuel that's going to give you uh, better performance right away. Like it's just – it converts easier. It digests easier. It's one of the easiest digesting carbs in my opinion. It's the best carb for muscle in my opinion because it just converts to glucose and glycogen so easily. Um, And it's absorbed and digested so well. And it's just pure carb. So it's so easy to pair it with other foods and pair it in meals because you don't have to worry about too much fat or proteins coming from it. Really none at all. Just carb. It's easy to track, easy to digest, easy to absorb, and easy for your body to utilize in training. That was way too many easies, too quick. I almost like stuttered. Um, For performance, it doesn't change. For me personally, um, pretty much the same thing except sweet potatoes. I would sub sweet potatoes out. And, put, and the reason I put blueberries and, and bananas is blueberries have, are kind of like a superfood. They have such good nutrients. They have, they have higher antioxidant levels than a lot of other fruits. They have high fiber. They have low calorie, low sugar. Just a great fruit to eat. Um, bananas, same thing. High fiber. Tastes amazing. <laughs> they have a lot of good nutrients in it. But you could sub the banana for like a kiwi. Kiwis are amazing for you too. Um, but that, those would be my picks. For me personally, I would probably sub out the sweet potato and put – um, like a root root vegetable, like a carrot or a squash or something like that. Um, and the reason being is because uh, sweet potatoes just make me bloated as shit. I just I love sweet potatoes, but I can barely eat like 40 grams of carbs from them in one sitting without getting bloated. I can eat 100 grams of carbs from rice or oats and have no issues. It's really weird. Um, but those would be my choices. I think we have time for like one more question. Let's see what we got here. Sun Habitos. I said that with an accent for you. 
how long it takes to go from 20% body fat to 18% body fat in women and what's the best number to be at. Um, I don't think there is any best number to be at. Like, I mean, if I'm being completely transparent, if we look at the size of your breast, that's going to increase your body fat percentage. And I don't think that's a fair uh, number to pick at, right? Like if you're 2% higher body fat than another individual because you have bigger boobs, one, you're probably not mad about it. Two, that's not like a really good determination of unhealthy body fat levels or the level of leanness in the mirror. So I don't think – I'm not a huge fan of being like very, very rigid on uh, body fat levels. I also know people that hold body fat really well. They could be the same body fat as me like a guy and look way more shredded than me just because they hold body fat well. Like my arms, my legs barely hold any body fat. I can get my arms and legs shredded, but I won't have abs because I hold my body fat in that place, which sucks, but it is what it is. It's genetic. I can't help it. Um, but how long does it take to drop 2% body fat, basically? Um, as a female going from 20 to 18, I would say it takes longer than a female going from 28 to 26. Like, we got to think about, like, 18% is decently low. Um, you're getting closer to the real low end for a female. Um, and at that point, it just gets harder. The lower your body fat percentage gets, the harder it gets. Uh, for me to go from 12 to 10%, it's difficult. To go from 10 to 8% is really fucking difficult. So... I think it depends. Um, how long will it take? Nobody can tell you that. There's no rate of like percentage really out there. That's like a good suggestion. We can say like, you know, you're going to lose 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week. That's the goal. Um, how much that is percentage wise, we can't really determine without knowing your weight, knowing your muscle mass, um, how well your body maintains muscle mass while burning fat. So it's a really hard question to answer, but I would say in, in, my experience dropping 2% body fat, you can do that in a two to three month cut. Like I, I can say that pretty confidently. Two to three months is like not super, super aggressive either. Like that's like a normal good cut. Like let's diet for three months. We can get you there um, probably sooner than three months. But I don't think – yeah, I don't, I don't think it's – I think it's hard to answer that question exactly because um, it's, just, it's just so individual and there's so many different variables inside of it. We got time for one more. I don't want to stop yet. Uh, I got more time on the clock. The real Matt Barkus. Why do pitchers and QBs have dad bods? <laughs> Are they encouraged not to lift? That's a funny question. Uh, first of all, there's nothing wrong with dad bods, dude. Let's get real here. I'm trying to re create a re revolution here and help help the dad bods with bad bods so we can have dad bods with good bods. But I think they just do not do as much. I mean, look at practice, dude. Like running backs and linebackers and wide receivers, they're sprinting and sprinting and sprinting and hitting and QB hikes and throws, hikes and throws. You know what I mean? Like he has rotator cuff issues, but he doesn't have a six-pack. Like that's just the life of a QB. But they get paid well, so I, I guess they can't complain. Andy Isale, how often should workouts be adjusted? That's a good question. I think that compound lifts should be adjusted every – Realistically, I mean, you could wait 12, 16 weeks if you want to as long as you're progressing. But I say, I would say like usually I like to switch the compound lifts every four weeks um, depending on the periodization scheme. So I will either A, well, we're doing five by five for the next four weeks, four by eight for the next four weeks. I just want you to progress on that. And then we'll change the compound lift completely. We might go from a seated military press to a standing or a barbell bench press to an incline or a conventional deadlift to a, a sumo deadlift, front squat to back squat do the same rep scheme or we'll keep the compound, 
keep the squat to squat, the deadlift to deadlift, the overhead press to overhead press, and then move to a um, six by six instead of a four by eight. So now we're increasing intensity, lowering volume. And then the time after that, we're going to go five by three. We lower it even more. So um, you can always do that too. So you're changing some kind of variable every four weeks. Or you can have more of a block periodization and keep it exactly the same for 12 weeks. And I like doing this a lot, actually. So week one, overhead press standing will be 4 by 10. Week two is 4 by 9. Week three is 4 by 8. Week four is 4 by 7. Staying in that hypertrophy zone, your goal is to add weight every week. And you should be able to do that because you're dropping a rep. Week five, we go all the way back to 4 by 10. But we're lifting a heavier weight for 4 by 10 than we were when we started the 4 by 10 four weeks ago. And we can repeat that for 12 to 16 weeks. So you are changing every week. But technically, every block, you're not. You have the same progression scheme. Um, I really enjoy doing that. I think that works really well with people. The accessory work can change every two to three weeks. So this is kind of more about like as you're getting bored. Um, if two weeks go by and you've been doing a wide grip T-bar row and you're starting to get bored, maybe you do a different variation of a wide grip row or a different variation of a row that's going to target your lats. Or if you're doing a neutral grip row, maybe you do a seated cable row instead of a T-bar neutral grip row or a one-arm dumbbell row, which has supported row. Every couple weeks, if you keep the movement pattern, the joint angle in the stretch contract phase of the lift, meaning where is the bicep or the lat or the trap or the shoulder or the chest or the quad, where is it under the stretch tension and where is it under the contraction tension? Um, if we look at a leg extension, your hips are flexed and you go into full knee extension and you create tension, right? Well, if we do a squat at the top of the movement or the bottom movement or a split squat or anything like that, your hips aren't really flexed, right? You're in a tall standing position. The leg extension constantly in a flex position, so it does alter things. Um, a seated leg curl versus a lying leg curl. A seated leg curl, your hips are flexed. A lying leg curl, they're not. So these things actually do play a role in how much tension is on the head of the muscle that you're working. Um, so I would just consider those things like let's keep the movement the movement and change the variation every two to three weeks just to keep me my mind stimulated, keep me from not getting bored. And then if you wanted to stick with it, because I know I have some clients that really do just enjoy doing the same thing for a longer period of time because it just helps them stay engaged and plan ahead and not get anxiety about what they're doing. Keep going until you stop progressing. Technically, anything you do in the gym, you can keep going until you stop progressing. So if you're adding weight, adding a rep, improving your lift or improving in any way, shape or form week after week after week, keep going until you hit two weeks in a row where you plateau or stop progressing. At that point, it's time to switch things up. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of The Nutrition Hierarchy. 
This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.